1: guys, and welcome to the podcast. This is Allison Lattermilk, the science editor at HowStuffWorks.com.
2: And this is Robert Lamb, science writer at HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, Allison. Hey, Robert. Have you ever traveled back in time?
1: Mm, no. Have you?
2: Uh, no, I haven't. So I guess we're woefully unprepared for this podcast. Where we're talking about <laughs> traveling back in time. It's uh, part two or part one of our series, depending on <laughs> what order you take them.
1: <laughs> Yeah, we already covered traveling into the future in our first installment. And you know what? Traveling back in time is not as easy as traveling forward.
2: No. I mean, as we pointed out in the last one, I mean, we're all traveling into the future at a very slow rate uh every day. But traveling into the past, it's not happening naturally.
1: Yeah, you get a, a lot more stumbling blocks.
2: Mm-hmm. That- like,
1: for example, the name of our podcast, Hey Grandpa, you have the very famous Grandfather Paradox.
2: Yeah, you want me to hit this one? This is... uh. This is a pretty, uh, pretty, pretty, it's one, one of the great things about time travel is just thinking about the problems of it, time travel into the past, uh, and the grandfather paradox is one of the big ones.
1: And you guys have probably heard of this, but yeah. for the sake of those people who haven't.
2: Okay, so the grandfather par- paradox is pretty cool. Basically, the idea is if you were to go back in time and kill your own grandfather, right. what would happen? It's like, I'm going to go back in time and and kill my grandfather. Bam, my grandfather is dead in the past. That means he never meets my grandmother. They never have a kid, and they never have a kid. I'm never born, so I never go back in time to kill my grandfather.
1: Right. How do you reconcile yeah. these things? Therein lies the paradox.
2: Yeah, anything you would go back in time to fix. By fixing it, you would you would destroy the need that arose to go back and fix it. You would destroy the problem, and then it wouldn't be a problem to fix. It's like this loop.
1: Yeah, and this also gets at another big problem with backward time travel in that it violates the rule of causality, cause and effect. Um, this is a big one for Hawking. He's always talking about this when he yeah. talks about time travel.
2: Yeah, I mean it's like a fundamental aspect of the universe, and that cause comes before effect. And if effect came before cause, that would be that'd be crazy. That's like having dessert before your meal, you know.
1: Plus, it just doesn't sound as good. Effect and cause. Yeah. That doesn't roll off the tongue.
2: Yeah, not at all.
1: And just because the French do eat salad at the end of their meals doesn't make it right.
2: No. that's It's clearly they're toying with uh, forces beyond our comprehension.
1: So while I was researching this program, I came across Carl Sagan's interview with uh, PBS, their NOVA program. and And NOVA asked him whether he thought backwards time travel would ever be possible. And Sagan had this to say. Such questions are purely a matter of evidence. And if the evidence is inconsistent or insufficient, then we withhold judgment until there's better evidence. Right now, we're in one of those classic, wonderfully evocative moments in science. When we don't know, when there are those on both sides of the debate, and when what is at stake is very mystifying and very profound. Indeed. As yeah. long as we're talking about Sagan, we should talk about wormholes.
2: Yeah, yeah, he's one of the big uh, the big names behind wormholes, right?
1: Or the big inspiration for research into wormholes, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, because of his book uh, Contact.
1: Mm-hmm. Did you ever read Contact, by the way?
2: No, I saw the movie. Jodie Foster. Yeah, I didn't remember. Ellie Arroway. I don't think I was that into it.
1: I just recently read that the character of Ellie Arroway was based on the real-life study explorer um, and scientist Jill Tarter. Oh, cool. Sorry, Jill, if I just mulled your last name.
2: All right. So, what is a wormhole? Right.
1: Do you guys remember these from Wrinkle in Time? Did you ever read Wrinkle in Time?
2: No, that's one of those series I should have read, but. No, oh, I you didn't.
1: should, you should. In fact, I'm going to go back and read it. It's amazing.
2: So, a wormhole is a hypothetical structure, alright? Okay. A long, thin tunnel com- connecting two points in space time. Um, the way I like to imagine it, and I know there's some sort of a, um, there's some sort of cool analogy involving an ant, right? Yeah. But. I, I think back to the movie Event Horizon, which is kind of a kind of a crappy, kind of a fun uh, sci-fi horror film where like they fly a spaceship into a black hole and travel to hell or something. But there's a scene where Sam Neill of Jurassic Park fame yes. is explaining something, and he takes like a a poster off the wall, and he folds it right so that point A that's on the far side of the one far end of the sheet and point B on the other far end of the sheet, he, he bends the paper until those two are touching back to back. And then he shoves a pencil through the uh, through both holes. And
1: bang, there's our wormhole. Right. Thank you, Sam Neill.
2: Yeah. That's the one good thing you can get out of that movie.
1: <laughs> yeah, the other one I've heard is really similar. You squish a piece of paper together, you get an ant. Say the ant pokes a hole through it, and the ant doesn't want to travel that far. That's like a universe to go from one end of the piece of paper to another. So it just travels through the little wormhole in the crumpled piece of paper to get where it's going.
2: So there you have it. Ants, masters of space and time. <laughs> Not really.
1: Yeah, wormholes are also called Einstein-Rosen bridges. and
2: Which sounds like something you would get done at a dental office. So <laughs> <It's-> <laughs> no wonder that one didn't stick.
1: Yeah. And John Wheeler was thought to have come up with the original term of wormhole. And they're considered possible because they very nicely fit into Einstein's theory of relativity, which, as you guys probably remember, states that any mass curves spacetime, And the nice thing about wormholes is that when you're talking about traversing a wormhole, you're still talking about going at speeds slower than the speed of light.
2: A lot of the study into wormholes comes back to uh, contact again, right?
1: Yeah, most recently, Thorne, um, Kip Thorne in particular, got into it when Carl Sagan asked Thorne, um, who was then a physicist at Caltech, with help for getting the protagonist in contact, which we just were talking about, uh, Ellie Arroway. He wanted to get Ellie to travel faster to a distant star, and he needed a means to get her there, so he asked Thorne for some help, and Thorne, of course, suggested a wormhole.
2: He plugged a hole in... A plot by creating a hole in space-time. How well about that? done,
1: Robert. Well yeah. done. And Hawking is also pretty big in this area. Um, but let's get back to Thorne for a second. Thorne's thoughts even led to an idea for a time travel machine based on these things called Thorne plates. And we're actually not going to get into them today because I think that would be really hard to explain over a podcast. But there is a there is an idea for a, a time travel machine based on Thorne. Thorne's other big contribution was he put the kibosh on care holes. So according to good old Kevin Bonser, who wrote the article on time travel on our site, care holes are these rotating black holes that could be used as portals for time travel or travel to parallel universes. So in 1963, there is this New Zealand mathematician by the, by the name of Roy Kerr, and he proposed the first realistic theory for a black hole.
2: So there are a few problems with wormholes, aside from the fact that they're purely hypothetical and might not even be real at all. Sure, um, and there's that. And, the, and that is that. Um, if we were able to create one or find one, because there are theories that they like occur naturally, um, at the quantum level, like just momentarily, the like quantum foam in the quantum foam, which uh, always makes me think of pie for some reason. Really, I mean,
1: right it now. makes me think of a temperpedic mattress. Yeah, yeah. I the think of, like a foam. green
2: like seafoam pie. Is that a thing? A seafoam pie?
1: No, I like, mean a is green it green
2: pie? Maybe I thought it was like a dessert my mom made or something.
1: Seafoam pie? That sounds revolting, Robert. Sorry, uh, Robert's mom.
2: Well, uh, the the dessert was good, but my recollection of it may be a little frayed. But um
1: No way, I would like to sleep on quantum foam. Don't you think that would be nice?
2: Yeah, but if it has wormholes in it, it's it might be problematic because That's true. These, the thing is these things would be like popping in and out of existence and each one would be a, a little tunnel to some other corner of time and space, you know. Might be it might lead to the center of a black hole, might lead to a planet where like, you know, Kangaroos rule. It might go into the future, might go into the past. You don't know, and they're just popping in and out of existence. But if you could grab one, you could you could theoretically use some sort of um, unrealized technology to like pull it open, expand it enough to like fly a spaceship through or something.
1: Right. Well, they speculate that keeping one open would require exotic matter or matter that has a net negative mass energy density, which is handy for pushing things apart.
2: Right. And that stuff's hard to find.
1: Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. I don't think you can buy that it's on eBay.
2: Not on Sam's Club but um so yeah there's there's that um and then also uh there there's some uh theories that if you could get one and you could actually hold it open, there would be like so much radiation heading into the wormhole that it would fry you, or it would create a radi- there would be like a radiation uh feedback loop, kind of like what happens with um with audio equipment,
1: yeah, this is Hawking's big thing,
2: yeah that in it would be like uh, in the same way that uh, that audio uh, feedback could destroy a speaker, mm-hmm. um, it would destroy the wormhole and whatever you were trying to throw back through it. You know, your your Terminators or time machines or whatever. But luckily, there are other equally hypothetical theories out there.
1: There are indeed. Uh, one of them is the cosmic string slash uh, got loop. So in his User's Guide to Time Travel on Wired, uh, the NYU theoretical physicist Michio Kaku mentions one method thought up by 1991, Princeton physicist J. Richard Gott. And this involves searching for an infinitely long cosmic string left over from the Big Bang. Have you seen any of those lying around the universe lately?
2: Uh Not recently. I think what you need is a um, some sort of a cosmic kitten, right? To- That's a horrible <laughs> joke. I can't believe I just made that.
1: So, once you find such a string, you arrange it in a rectangle shape that's roughly 54,000 light years long and .01 light years wide using gravity. So that's fine. You can yeah. just bang that out in the afternoon.
2: This is just another, this is another one of those, it's sort like a thought experiment. It's, um, you know, it's, it's purely hypothetical. Um.
1: Right. So, Gott's idea was that the strings could warp space-time in such a way as to allow backwards time travel. It wouldn't be good for forward time travel, though. So let's move on to the next one.
2: Yeah, this is, and this is the
1: giant cylinder.
2: Yeah, it's, uh, the Van Stokem cylinder. Yeah. Which, which sounds like a pretty good, uh, like country band name, I think. Um, and this idea is that you get a huge cylinder. In fact, a, a cylinder so big that it's, it's infinite. Okay. So even, you know, just <laughs> more astronomical to even try and, uh, you know, envision. All right, you get this, so you get this enormous cylinder, get it spinning at near light speed. We don't want to. We don't want to go faster than light speed because we don't want to get silly here with this stuff, <laughs> this, this scheme. Um, and it would uh, anyway. It gets going real fast, and it ends up dragging space time into its rotation.
1: So, in 1974, Frank J. Tipler, a cosmologist and physicist, pointed out that the field surrounding the cylinder would violate causality, quote unquote, in the sense that it allows a closed time like line to connect any two events in space time. This suggests that a finite rotating cylinder would also act as a handy time machine. Okay, he didn't say handy. He just said as a time machine.
2: Yeah, there's there's nothing handy about the about this uh, cylinder uh, idea. But again, it's it's all about it's not about saying hey, here's a realistic time travel device. It's kind of like all right, these are the this is what we're up against in the universe. What would it take to break the laws of the universe and make it possible?
1: Yeah. Right, and let's not forget that science builds on other science. So you have to get some wacky ideas out there to get some realistic ones. Yeah. But let's stick with Unrealistic for another, for yet another segment. Let's talk tachyons.
2: Yeah, so like we've mentioned, uh, according to Einstein's theory of relativity, nothing can go faster than light. Light is the universal speed limit. But tachyons are the universal speed limit breakers, right? Indeed.
1: They are going to get pulled over by the universal cops. But they're too speedy. So ordinary matter is prevented from ever reaching the speed of light because of the fact that it would require infinite energy. Tachyons, of course, are no ordinary matter. And, of course, they're hypothetical, although they do make an appearance on Star Trek. And in the Skeptic's Dictionary, check it out. In the Skeptic's Dictionary, uh, it says that there's a whole line of New Age products that range from beads, belts, and shoe inserts, to sweatbands, power pillows, massage oils, and vials of tachyon water. If that's true, those guys can make a mint showing physicists where to get some tachyons.
2: Tachyon water. That's so the New awesome.
1: Agers can figure out where to get them, but the physicists can't. <laughs> NASA's take is that... If tachyons exist, the universe could be filled with them, but they interact so weakly with ordinary matter that we couldn't detect them. So far, none of the big accelerator labs have detected an interaction which can only be explained by tachyons.
2: So let's say I were to order a bunch of tachyons from my new age uh, supplier and they were actually real tachyons, <laughs> not not fake tachyons. Um, how, does the, how do I go back in time with these guys?
1: So we just wrote an article on this for Through the Wormhole for Discovery, and uh, it was on quantum non-locality, entangled physics, and, in fact, tachyons. So here's the experiment that one of the writers, Susan Nasser, came up with. Pretend all the clocks in the world are broken.
2: Okay. Done.
1: So just forget about having any means to tell time. Gotcha. Instead, just imagine point A and point B. Okay. So we're going to say that time has moved forward when light, leaving A, reaches B. Okay. When light leaves A, it's now. But when it reaches B, it's later. Okay. Okay, now add a tachyon into the mix, and which you'll remember travels faster than light. So, no surprise here, you're going to release the photon and the tachyon at the same time, and the subatomic particle is going to reach B first, not the photon. So, when it reaches B, what time is it? It's before now.
2: Ah, okay.
1: What happened? Did it move backward in time? It's kind of an interesting thought experiment.
2: Okay, so think of uh, think of the photon as the turtle, and the uh, tachyon as the hair. Exactly. And uh, so when the turtle the turtle leaves point A yeah. now, yeah. And when he arrives at point point B, it's later. Yeah. But the problem here is the hair beats him to point B, so yeah. he gets there before now.
1: But the handy thing about tachyons is they're hypothetical, so the so the tortoise, as usual, wins the race because that hair it just it can never pull it off.
2: That sounds a little crazy.
1: <laughs> they are, in fact, a little crazy. And that is, in fact, where we're going to wrap up today's podcast on Backwards Time Travel.
2: I'm going ha- a- to get myself some uh, tachyons, though. If, any- if anybody wants to supply me with tachyons, uh, just contact me. Hook me up.
1: So, as always, you can type time travel into our search bar on our homepage and see what good stuff that brings up stuff on warp drives which we didn't cover today or time travel or whether space is a shape all that good stuff and we are all over social networking aren't we robert
2: we sure are um and hey why do we have all these pictures of lizards
1: we do have some pictures of lizards listener mail (laughs) yeah we got listener mail from beth and beth writes hi I really enjoy your podcast. Thanks for investigating such cool topics and for putting it up for free. I'm a graduate student in ecology and evolutionary biology, studying lizards. So I was especially interested in your podcast on regeneration. That was a fun one.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That one was.
1: Beth writes, I was thus a little sad when you didn't talk about tail loss and regrowth in lizards. Although I agree that salamanders are definitely more impressive. And then she goes on to write, Lizard tails don't regenerate in the same way that salamander libs, limbs do. Regrown tails have a tube of cartilage in the center rather than bone. Nonetheless, I thought you might enjoy seeing a photo of a lizard with a funny-looking fork tail that I caught during recent fieldwork. And this, she sent three photos. And the lizard indeed has this fork tail, which is really unusual.
2: And I'm just going to assume that she did not pull the tail off that lizard just to impress us.
1: No, I do not think Beth did that. She writes that, I think what probably happened was that she suffered a tail break, the lizard. She started to regenerate her tail and then had a partial break higher up than stimulated new tail growth from the broken part, even though the rest of the tail was still attached. It sounds complicated, but the pictures are well worth it.
2: So yeah, send us uh, send us pictures of your lizard tails and various other things. We're, uh, we would would love to get them. Uh and you have another uh, another uh, letter, don't
1: you? I do, I do. I have one from an Aussie. Uh and Karen writes, "Hey guys, first I'd like to say I love the various topics you choose. I'm quite handy at quiz nights thanks to you. My only gripe is how you pronounce in Australian cities and terms. For instance, long isn't with a hard G like in golf. It's a soft G like G, that's long." Perhaps prior to casting, you could check an Aussie site as to how we pronounce things. Very sorry, Karen. We apologize. And we will indeed follow up on that suggestion in the future.
2: Yeah, all Australian websites are blocked on our server. I don't know what's up with that.
1: <laughs> so if you guys want to send us an email, you know where to find us. Science at howstuffworks.com.